I'm so grateful to be here today to dwell in the house of the Lord. I welcome you in the name of Jesus. Please begin with me today by turning to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. Prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. As you abide in Jesus, the fruit of holiness will be born in your life. Now please turn with me to John chapter 15, verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches, the one remaining in union with me, and I with him. This one bears much fruit, because apart from me you are not able to do anything. If anyone may not remain in union with me, he's thrown out as the branch and dried up, and they gather them and throw them into the fire and they're burned. If you may remain in union with me and my rhemas may remain in you, you will ask whatever you may desire and it will happen for you. By this my Father was glorified, that you may bear much fruit and you will prove to be my disciples. If you make the decision to remain in union with Jesus, that word remain in the Greek is meno, and that literally means to stay. If you stay joined, not separated from Jesus, and the rhema word stays in you, You can ask whatever you wish, and it will happen. So what does it mean to stay in union with Jesus? It means to respond when he calls. It means setting specific times to sit with him, to read the word, to talk to him, spending time fasting, More specifically, for some it might be taking a walk every day, going to the gym, getting on a bike, breathing fresh air, and in that place, it's an incredible way to meet with Jesus, to hear his voice where he'll guide you and be very specific with you about the steps to take that he wants you to take in your life. And it's also a way to show Jesus that you're really serious about taking time with him. So maybe that's for some. There's so many ways we can abide and stay in union with Jesus. For others, speaking for myself to every day doing the laundry or the dishes, um, taking care of tidying the house, whatever 
ways that Jesus calls you and asks him to spend asks you to spend time with him it's allowing Jesus to be an integral part of your everyday where at no point do you walk on your own and separate from him and it's in this place of abiding in staying in union with Jesus and not separating that he'll expose the dark places in our hearts that maybe we wouldn't see, the sin of our hearts. And it's in in that place that we make the choice, will we continue to be in union with Jesus or will we separate from him and say, oh, I don't like what I see. Oh, no, I didn't think I had to go this far. The fruit of holiness will be born in your life as you remain in his love, as you do not separate from him, as you respond when he calls. It's in this place that you can ask whatever you desire and it will happen. Verse 16 says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you may go and may bear fruit. And your fruit may remain, that whatever you may ask the Father in my name, he may give to you. I command these things to you, that you may love one another. It's really what Jesus desires from each and every one of us, to stay in intimate union with Jesus. As we do that, you'll find how amazing things begin to open in your life how the peace and the joy and the overwhelming presence of God comes. So once again, I welcome you in the name of Jesus to the National Prayer Chapel. The message today is entitled, The Purpose of God. If I were going to be a little bit more descriptive, I would say, The Purpose of God in Your Life. Let's pray. Almighty God, you have a purpose for each one of us. And our lives will not have been successful if we deny the purpose that you have for us. The only place of salvation will be for us to walk in your purpose. So I pray you will unfold this and make it plain to our hearts today the purpose for our life. In the name of Jesus, amen. I wish someone had said to me many years ago what I'm going to say to you today. If someone had taught me this very simple lesson, my life would have been dramatically different And I would not have been lost in the desert for so many years. I pray that as I share this with you, the light will come on in your heart. And you will begin to see the purpose of God for your life. We're going to look carefully at Hebrews 10, 11, and 12. Usually when we come to these passages, we zero in on a few very specific texts. 
We're not going to do that today. I want the overarching wisdom of God to come clearly to our hearts that we can understand the purpose of God. We're coming out of the ninth chapter of the book of Hebrews that is talking about the heavenly sanctuary and what Jesus is doing as he ministers right now in that heavenly sanctuary. In other words, Jesus has a purpose, and that purpose is to minister in the heavenly sanctuary for your salvation. I don't want you to miss this. Jesus is right now in the heavenly sanctuary, and you are very much on his mind. He is issuing commands regarding your life. For some of you, he is saying, put that person in the desert for the next seven years because they will not listen and they will not obey and I need to discipline them. So off to the desert with them. He did that to the children of Israel. And then he said, and then I'm going to go after them and I'm going to woo them. I'm going to court them. I'm going to try to win their hearts while they're in the desert. Sometimes seven years is not enough and we get a double sentence of 14 years. Moses got a sentence of 40 years. He was a hardhead. (coughs) But finally, he was willing to listen to what God wanted him to do. He tried to do in his own flesh by killing an Egyptian. And the Lord had to send him packing to be a shepherd. Because God's purpose for Moses was to shepherd his people out of Egyptian captivity, the womb of Egypt, into the promised land of Cana. He needed a shepherd to do that. So 40 years assigned to him in the desert. So Christ is in the heavenly sanctuary ministering to us. And that brings us to chapter 10 where it's very clear in the introduction to chapter 10 that the blood of bulls and goats will not remove our sin. We need a Savior to remove our sin. We need a Savior to come and minister to us, and that's what he's doing in the heavenly tabernacle. Then he begins to warn us that we should encourage one another toward love, and good works. Those are the two issues that the Holy Spirit wants to focus around for the purpose of your life. And the first purpose is that you will totally let go of all anger, all violence, all bitterness. You will be a man and a woman of love. Love is a decision. It's not an emotion. It has emotions attached to it. But God's first purpose is that we will come into his presence and become lovers. Lovers of people. For their salvation. In other words, what you're going to see very clearly as I outline this, is that we are called to be the bodies, the instruments to be used by the Holy Spirit to accomplish the fullness of what Jesus is ordering from the heavenly sanctuary for this earth. 
In other words, we are called into a cooperative relationship with God to fulfill the commands of Jesus that he issues from his heavenly command center. Hebrews 10, verse 24. And may we consider one another to encourage love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves as is in the habit of some, but encouraging one another and by so much more as we see the day approaching. In other words, it's important for you to be in church because church is the body of Christ. And it's the body of Christ that needs to come together in understanding and wisdom to accomplish the purposes of God that he's ordering from the heavenly sanctuary. And believe me, on this journey, some of us have had to journey very much alone through the desert. And we have needed brothers and sisters to understand the discipline we're undergoing and to encourage us. But usually when Christians are sent into the desert, they are looked upon as wicked sinners and God is angry with them and they are not in the favor of God. Just the opposite is true. God only sends his chosen vessels into the wilderness to undergo discipline. If you do not undergo discipline, you are not a child of God. We'll get to that in Hebrews, the 12th chapter. All of those whom God loves, he will discipline. Why is he disciplining them? He's training them to be instruments of his hand via the Holy Spirit who indwells our bodies to accomplish his purpose in the earth. And if you're out accomplishing your own purpose and your own goals and you're going this direction and that direction, you are no longer under the presence of the Holy Spirit. You have cast him off and you're walking in the flesh. Now let's be very frank with one another. Most Christians spend most of their lives thinking about and being concerned about worldly things. So blocking the presence and power of the Holy Spirit and not cooperating with the Holy Spirit. The call of God on the National Prayer Chapel is to set aside the things of the flesh and the things of the world and to undergo the discipline of God in order to be useful for his kingdom. And so, in chapter 10, this very serious warning is issued in verse 26. Now, willfully continuing to sin, after we receive the clear knowledge of the truth, a sacrifice no longer remains concerning sin, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment, even the fire, even the fury of fire being on the point to consume the adversaries. 
Anyone rejecting the law of Moses dies without mercy upon the word of two or three witnesses. But how much more worse punishment do you think we will be considered worthy? The ones having trampled the Son of God underfoot, in fact having regarded the blood of the covenant by which he was made holy, a common thing, even having insulted the Spirit of grace. Now we understand the one having said, Vengeance belongs to me, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. The warning is not to live your own life, but to begin to consider carefully the purpose of God for your life and then begin to walk in fulfillment of that purpose. We are not our own. We were bought at a price. We as Christians do not have the right to go out and live and spend our time and our money and our energy in any way that we desire. We have been called to be used as instruments of the Holy Spirit in fulfilling the will of Christ as he speaks from the heavenly sanctuary where he is actively engaged in the salvation of the world. God's purpose is not for America to prosper. God's purpose for America is not that we should be condemned to hell. God's purpose for America is not that we would approve abortion and homosexuality, and every other unclean thing. The purpose for God, for America, is to use America to touch the world with the gospel, to fund the gospel. And for many years, America fulfilled that. Today, we're not fulfilling it anymore. There must be a dramatic shift in America. That's only going to happen as we as individuals begin to look at that and begin to allow the Holy Spirit full control to use us. We are not to spend our time struggling with sin. We have been given victory over all sin by the blood of Jesus. We're not to spend our time struggling with alcohol or with drugs or with fornication, or with bitterness, anger, rancor, violence. All of that is to be utterly put away that we can walk in the purpose of God. And so we come to the end of chapter 10, verse 36, For you have need of endurance, that after having done the will of God, the promise may be obtained. In other words, what God has planned for you is not a walk in the park. It is going to be very difficult. I'm reminded of the story of the, the representatives from our military going to make a presentation at a high school class, recruiting young men and women into the military. And the army man went first. 
and he expounded on all the benefits they would have and how wonderful it was to be in the army. The Navy went next, the adventure of sailing around the world, new ports of call, all the wonderful things that a Navy man could have and experience. And then the Air Force came next, and they took a lot of time just really talking about the flyboys and all the fun of, of flying that multi-million dollar aircraft, the power and the prestige, the money. Do you know how much pilots are being paid by the U.S. Air Force today? $400,000 a year. Because we're so short on pilots, they're causing guys to say, I'll sign up to be a pilot if I can have $400,000 a year. Well, the Air Force guy just really went at how wonderful it is to be a pilot. Then the teacher stood up and he said, I'm sorry, but we're out of time. He turned to the Marine and he said, you just have a few seconds before the bell rings. And the Marine stood up and he said, you probably shouldn't become a Marine. We just want a few good men. We're tough. If you think you can sacrifice your life for our country, then talk to me afterward. And the bell rang and everyone exploded out of there. Well, guess who they all gathered around to talk to after the, the Marine? I mean, we've heard all the hype. We've heard about all the positive thinking and all the, the things that Jesus wants to give us, to give us a wonderful life. No. He wants a few good men and women who are willing to say, I'll lay my life down for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm willing to walk away from this world and its benefits, I'm willing to undergo the discipline and the training in boot camp. I want to serve Jesus. That's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. You have need of endurance that after having done the will of God, the promise may be obtained. Now, yet in a very little while, the one coming will come and will not delay, but the righteous will live by faith and it may be, if he draw back, my soul will not be pleased with him. Do you understand God has a soul? Do you understand what the soul is? It's our personality. It's who we are. God has a personality. He's a person. Verse 39, but we are not of those shrinking back to destruction, but of faith to a preservation of the soul. The only way you're going to preserve your soul for eternity is to lose your life for Jesus Christ. You're going to have to turn away from the foolishness of this world, and you're going to have to hear the word of God to your heart. This is my purpose for your life. Will you do it? Now, chapter 11. Now, faith is the assurance of things being expected, an inner conviction of things not being seen. Those words, inner conviction, literally, it means to be set under. Hypostasis. 
He's saying literally, faith is the assurance of things being expected as you put yourself under what is not seen. Jesus is not seen, but you put yourself under his discipline. And as you are under his discipline and you hear the rhema word of God spoken to you, you can then be disciplined and trained and God can then use you, Jesus, use you to accomplish his purpose from the throne room of heaven, from the heavenly sanctuary. Now, listen to verse 3. If you're reading from the King James Version or the NIV, it is a totally foolish translation. I want to read for you the literal translation of that verse of chapter 11, verse 3. We understand not the creation, but the ages. An eon. In the Greek, it is eon. Eon is a period of time. It is a segment of time. He says, we understand the eons, the ages, the periods of time to have been put right by faith in a rhema from God. What he's saying is in every age, God has had men and women that he would speak to. And those men and women, hearing the rhema word of God, would do what God asked them to do. And by so doing, they changed the course of history. They affected the outcome of history, of the eon. Because their life was a testimony to the rhema word of God. Now let's be clear. The rhema is the spirit-breathed word. And in every rhema word, there is the power to accomplish what the rhema is commanding. So what God has commanded us to do, and each of us it will be different. I'm going to show you that in a minute. If we do the rhema word of God by his power that is breathing through that rhema, we will affect a change in our culture. God is calling the National Prayer Chapel to affect a change in the age in America in which we live. And we're already beginning to do that by a little footprint on an AM radio station. And you are cooperating in that. And in your own life, you have been called to affect the change. Now, how are you going to affect the change? Let's go on in Hebrews 11. In verse 4, Abel heard the rhema word of God, and so he offered to God an abundant sacrifice. The problem between Cain and Abel is that Cain wanted to be stingy with God, and Abel wanted to be abundant and overflowing with his gift to God. So in our tithes and offerings, in our time, in our energy... We can be very stingy with God. And we can say, okay, my limit is I will be there on Sunday and I'll be late. That's my limit with God. Don't expect me to help help set up. Don't expect me to be faithful in any way. I'm going to show up 
and that's my deal. Really? Is that the rhema word of God to you? I don't think so. Oh, I haven't heard a rhema word. Oh, you haven't been listening to God, have you? You've been so full of yourself, you had no time to hear God's word to you. See, it's impossible to hear the rhema word of God when we're walking in wickedness. You have to be made righteous. You have to be sanctified before the rhema word of God comes clearly to your heart. That's why I'm constantly preaching repentance so that you can hear the rhema word of God. That's why I constantly preach being sanctified and entirely sanctified, utterly giving yourself over so that you can hear the rhema word of God so you can be used by Jesus from the throne room to accomplish the changing of the age. Do you understand? This is not some small deal. We're a small congregation, but our purpose is not small. And God's purpose for us is not small. Now, if you look at verse 7, by faith, Noah, having been warned, a rhema word, concerning the things not yet having been seen, having been moved with reverent awe, built an ark unto the deliverance of his household. He heard a rhema word of God that scared him. And he said, if I don't obey this rhema word of God, my family is going to die. God will not put all of you in that position. But I'll be straight up with you. He has put some of you in that position where you have an ark to build. And if you don't build that, your family's going to die. And you can't build it in your own power. You have to wait on the word of God as he brings you out of the desert, out of discipline, prepared to hear the word of God and act upon it. Noah did that. Verse 8. Abraham, by faith, again, the word of God came to him. Leave your homeland. Leave your family. Go to the land I will show you. Abraham obeyed. He obeyed the rhema word. Now listen, chapter 11 is the honor roll of the scriptures. Identifying men and women who did what God spoke to them with his rhema word. Would your name be listed in Hebrews 11 today if the word of God had to be written? Have you obeyed the rhema word that was spoken to you? Being called to go out to a place which he was about to receive for an inheritance. It doesn't say, does it? But it took a lot of years for him to get that inheritance. And then he never saw it. He had to buy property in his inheritance to bury his wife. But he obeyed. And he brought a change. Verse 11. By faith, even Sarah herself received strength. The rhema word came. She laughed. She didn't believe it. She had to receive strength from God. Please, may I tell you, 
When you first hear the rhema word of God for your life, it may so terrify you that you will say, this is utterly impossible. It can't happen. And you're going to have to be strengthened by the presence of the Holy Spirit to believe what God has spoken to you and begin to act upon it. Now, some of you are acting on God's word to you and it hasn't been very dramatic. God's word is not always dramatic. Most often it comes as a still small voice that says, take a stand for me against abortion. Take a stand for me against unrighteousness. It doesn't have to be impressive. The word of God is often not very impressive. It's a still small voice. That voice came to Sarah and she could not believe it. But she received the strength to conceive seed. Even after the time of her being able to give birth was past. By faith, Noah, in verse 7, moved with reverent awe. Abraham obeyed. Sarah received. If you look at verse 24, by faith, Moses, having become full grown, in other words, he's a man, and he made a man's decision. The man's decision was to refuse. Wow, does it take courage to refuse what the devil wants to offer you. If you will just go my way, I'll give you the desire of your heart. If you'll just go my way, I'll take away all your stress and all your worry. If you'll just go my way, I'm going to give you everything. The scriptures say he's a liar and the trot in him. He's a thief. So we come by faith, Moses, this is verse 24, having become full grown, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, having chosen rather to suffer with the people of God than to have the enjoyment of sin for a season. Do you understand that if Moses had been willing, he probably would have become the next Pharaoh of Egypt. And today, where would he be? Mummified in an Egyptian museum with people staring at his mummified face and wondering why his teeth fell out. Instead, where is he? The right hand of God in heaven being sent as a messenger to encourage Jesus on the journey. Which would you rather be? Would you rather be mummified? Or would you rather be with Jesus in heaven? I tell you what, there's no decision there for me. I don't care to be mummified. And please, I don't mean to insult any of you, but some of you are well on your way to being mummified already. Because you're choosing the way of darkness and not the way of service to the rhema word of God. Please, may I warn you, as you feel your toes and your feet and your hands beginning to be mummified, rush to the prayer closet. As you feel your heart beginning to be hard against Jesus, rush to the prayer closet. 
and get right with Jesus and let him resurrect you in his power and speak to you the rhema word? By faith, Moses refused. By faith, verse 27, he left Egypt. What do you need to leave? What lifestyle do you need to leave? What pleasures do you need to leave and turn aside from? Then if you look at chapter 12, so then we also, having so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, who are the witnesses surrounding us? The people we've just been talking about, everyone mentioned in the 11th chapter of Hebrews. They're alive. They're in heaven. They're watching to see whether you will obey the rhema word of God to change the age by the power of the Holy Spirit, whether you will participate in the work of Christ from the heavenly sanctuary. Cloud of witnesses, they're called. What does the word witness mean? Well, in the Greek, it's martis. It's from the word we get the word martyr. Someone who will lay their life down for what they believe in. He's saying we have a cloud of martyrs around us. Men and women who said no to Egypt. Men and women who obeyed. Men and women who said, yes, I'll go. Men and women who were terrified by the word of God that came to them and said, I'm going to build an ark to save my family. Witnesses, martyrs. How are they martyrs? Well, some of them were killed. But others are martyrs because they died never having followed the devil. Never having believed his lies. You know, some of you, if the Lord would say to you, I want you to pick up and move and go to a land I'm going to show you, you'd say, but what about the piano I'm dragging behind me? Or what about this that I'm dragging behind me? Some of you are so weighted down by your possessions and your hopes and your dreams, the weight is so heavy, you would not be able to follow the rhema word of God because you have other idols you've stacked up in your heart. Now look, the message is very simple. For you must consider, verse 3, the one having endured such rebellion by the sinners against himself, so that you may not be discouraged in your souls and lose heart. You did not yet oppose to the point of blood contending against the sin. You have forgotten the exhortation which reasons with you as with sons. My son, you must not regard lightly discipline from the Lord, neither become weary under his chastening. For whom the Lord loves, he disciplines and corrects every son whom he receives. And daughter, by the way, daughters. You cannot escape the discipline of God if you are going to be included as someone that can be used by the Holy Spirit as commanded from the throne room of God. You are going to undergo discipline. 
So he says, back to verse 1, So then we also, having so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, have already taken off and laid aside every conceivable weight and the easily ensnaring sin. What's the conceivable weight? That's what I just spoke of. All the stuff you're carrying around with you. Your plans. Your dreams. Your ambitions. He's saying lay them down. And the ensnaring sin... Literally, in Greek, the dancing sin. The sin that comes dancing up to you and says, Me, 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 me. Take me. I like you. I'll make you happy. I'll relax you. You can be happy if you take me as your partner. He's saying, Cast off those dancing sins. Through endurance, may we run the race being set before us, looking away unto Jesus, the author and finisher of the faith. It's Jesus who speaks that rhema word into our heart. And when we get it, we respond. Either with fear, we're we're afraid not to respond, as was Noah. Or we receive but need to be encouraged, as Sarah was. Or we refuse the dancing sins and say, no, I'm not going to go that way. I'm going to go the way of Jesus, who for the joy being set before him endured a cross. Having disregarded shame, he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That's where Jesus is right now. He's at the right hand of God. Now, verse 11, now all discipline for the present does not seem to be joyful, but painful. Then later it gives back the peaceful fruit of righteousness to the ones having been trained by it. Please, may I be very honest? The discipline of God in my life has often caused me to weep. It has been utterly, excruciatingly painful. And in the midst of the discipline, the sin comes dancing by, saying, look, you don't have to put up with this discipline. You don't have to put up with this person in your life anymore. Throw them out. Cast them away from you. You'll be happier if you're free of them. The discipline of God says, endure. Stay there. Let me deal with your heart. The discipline of God is not easy. But remember, we stay under. That's the first verse, Hebrews 11. We stay under by faith in the rhema word of God. What God has spoken to us, we will be faithful to that. Therefore, you must, verse 12, Therefore, you must strengthen the hand having been weak and the knees having been feeble, and you must make straight paths for your feet that the lame may not be turned aside, but rather may be healed. Do you notice you are not the lame person being referred to? It's saying, <clears throat> You must make a straight path for your feet 
so that the lame following you will not stumble on fall. So what you do should straighten the path and make it easy for someone else to follow you. Because they're going to hear the rhema word of God too. And they're going to come down that path. We are literally path breakers. Way breakers. After Perez, look him up. We are way makers. Path breakers. That's what God has called the National Prayer Chapel to be. Now you must pursue peace with all men and and the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Seeing it is lest anyone falling from the grace of God, lest some root of bitterness grow up causing trouble and by this defile many with sin. If you do not follow the rhema word of God that is spoken to your heart, if you do not obey and do what he calls you to do in righteousness, you will cause bitter roots to grow up in the hearts of other people and you will cause great damage in their lives. And one of the areas that has been most painful to me has been when I have disobeyed the word of the Lord and I have hurt other people and I've become a stumbling block to other men and women. And it's caused me to quickly turn I was speaking with one of you and I made the statement about certain behavior and I said it's obvious that person has no social grace I made a harsh judgment well I wasn't aware that person was even listening and I wasn't speaking specifically about them I was talking about the behavior Well, that person sent me a text the next day Monday and said I don't think you have the right, Pastor, to make those kinds of judgments. That's just your opinion. And my first inclination was to write a well-reasoned defense of how right I was and how wrong they were. And as I began to think about that, the Holy Spirit said to me, Stop it. So I sent a text back. And I said, it's obvious that I am the one without social grace. I'm sorry. And that person wrote me back and said, all is forgiven with a happy face. Do you realize I could have responded in a way that would have resulted in damage to that precious person's heart and life and turned them away and disappointed them. And I can't tell you how many times I've made stupid statements doing and saying things that have hurt other people. Hey, guys, am I alone in this? You've never done that, have you? And part of what the Lord is saying to me is stop it. Don't do that. Don't cause bitter roots to grow up in other people's hearts, but instead make straight 
paths for your own feet, paths that they can follow you on, where they will not stumble and fall. Pursue peace with all men. Verse 14, in holiness without which no one will see the Lord. For we have come, verse 22, to Mount Zion, even to a city of a living God, to a heavenly Jerusalem, to countless thousands of angels in joyous assembly, and to the church of the firstborn. That's the church I belong to. Do you? That's my home church. This is just a branch church. That's the church we belong to. That's where our membership is found. So therefore, verse 28, receive an unshakable kingdom. May we have the grace by which we serve God acceptably with reverence and awe. For indeed, our God is a consuming fire. Now it's very clear. God has a purpose for your life. He has spoken a rhema to you. If you have not heard the rhema, it's not because he did not speak it. It's because your ears were plugged with the sounds of the world. And you need to go back and ask him with a humble heart, would you please speak your rhema to me once more that I could clearly hear it and I will obey it. And I will go where you send me and I will do what you tell me. For you are called by the Holy Spirit to be an instrument of change in the age in which we live. As we come to the table of the Lord today, we are saying to Jesus, Yes, Lord, I desire to hear the rhema word you will speak to me, and I will receive it. I wish I could come to each one of you and ask you the question, what rhema word has God spoken to you? I'm being faithful to the rhema word God spoke to me. He said to pastor the National Prayer Chapel. And he said, speak on Pilgrim's Progress. There is one rhema word that I'm not being faithful to. The word was pastor America. And that was not spoken to just me. That was spoken to this church. In that rhema word is the power to do what he's told us to do. And it's my intention to go there. I want you to go with me. And it will cost you everything. And for some of you, that rhema word is going to say, go make money. For some of you, the rhema word is going to say, do the internet. For some of you, it's going to say, just be faithful in your desert job right now because I have you under heavy discipline. You can't be useful to me yet, but I will soon cause you to be made useful to my kingdom. The rhema word is different to each one of us, but it all centers in the work of the gospel of salvation for the lost and the coming kingdom of Jesus Christ.